not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name's Michael Steindl and I'm joined today by my co-host Kay Wenigal. Hi Mike, hi listeners. BZE's report, Rethinking Cement, released in August 2017, broke ground worldwide in highlighting the contribution of cement to global greenhouse gases and the availability and feasibility of alternatives to Portland cement. It also kicked off some really interesting discussions in the construction industry. One company that's investigating the implications of the report is Transurban. As many of you would know, Transurban constructs and manages urban freeways in Australia and the USA. What you may not be aware of is that they have sustainability commitments which include a number of activities directly and indirectly related to reduction of emissions due to concrete. Transurban has requested that BZE investigate pathways for reducing cement-related emissions in urban motorways. The BZE lead researcher, Dr Marita Berndt, and lead author of Rethinking Cement, Michael Lord, join us today to discuss the Transurban's investigation. Hi Marita and hi Michael. Thanks Hello. for joining us. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kate. Most listeners, Marita, would be aware with uh, BZE's lead researcher, Michael Lord, but you, with all due politeness, are an unknown quantity. So can you tell us more about your background and, and role at BZE and why you've been called the concrete whisperer? <laughs> yes, so I um, studied at Monash University, uh, did a degree in chemical engineering science and then started working on a Monash Uni CSRO collaborative uh, project looking at durability of concrete. And ever since then, I seem to have been uh, stuck in concrete, can't can't (laughs) escape it. So I've worked in various jobs but keep coming back to uh, concrete durability and I've also had an interest in sustainability of concrete and how we can reduce emissions associated with concrete. So what are the highlights so far in your concrete experience? Oh, I think working on um, projects uh, to do repairs and rehabilitation of existing structures and extending the life. So one, for example, was Morell Bridge over uh, the Yarra River and worked on some major projects uh, such as the new Gateway Bridge in uh, Brisbane, which has a 300-year design life. Mm-hmm. So various um, projects like, like that. And you mentioned briefly about reinforcement. Yes. So, yes, reinforcement is the uh, the devil. It corrodes and causes cracking and spalling of concrete, so that's a major problem. Is with... that what's also known as concrete cancer? That's correct, mm. yes. So, yes, it's a serious issue with um, achieving design life of concrete, and there are ways and means of addressing it, but it's all uh, cost-related. <laughs> As everything is. Michael... Can you tell us how this project with Transurban came about? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, obviously, when Beyond Zero Emissions produces a report, that's launching it is only the, the beginning of a long communications and advocacy campaign. And one of the opportunities we got uh, 
was um, through a company called CPB Contractors, who are a large construction firm in, the, in Australia owned by Simic Group. And they put on uh, Rethinking Cement breakfast briefings in Brisbane and Sydney, and they invited lots of luminaries um, from government and the construction in- and infrastructure industry to those breakfast briefings. One of the people at those breakfast briefings was a guy called Jason Henning at Transurban, and uh, he liked what he heard about what could be done in cement. Because um, if we remind ourselves, it is 8% of world emissions, and really until now, no one has said that we could eliminate those emissions. So he liked what he heard, and he shared it with the sustainability manager at Transurban, a guy called Matt Brennan. And Matt came to me and said, would you be interested, as Beyond Zero Emissions, in... Uh, doing a project to to see how we could reduce the emissions from the significant quantities of cement and concrete that we buy uh, for our urban motorways. Um, so we said yes, we'd be very interested, and then you know things went from there. And then it was a question of who was going to lead the research. Um, you know, I was lead author of Le- Rethinking Cement, but I wouldn't call myself an expert in cement and concrete. We needed an expert both in the technology of cement, but also the the industry and how the industry works. And there aren't too many of those going about. And I rang Marita on the off chance, not really thinking it was going to be possible, but uh, um, yeah, Marita was at a moment in her career when um, she was able to give us a couple of days a week, and I was very happy about that. Mm, fantastic, because you certainly sound like you are an expert in this area, Marita. So we've talked a bit about the impetus of transurban sustainability commitments. Is there anything else that we need to cover in that area, given yeah, that they came to BZD? I, I'm not used to thinking of, of transurban as good guys like this. So what's prompted transurban to do this? Yeah, so transurban does have sustainability goals, and in particular they want to reduce their overall emissions by 52% by the year 2030. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have recognised... That's an overall emissions. Overall, overall emissions reduction target. So they have recognised that um, they're building structures with a lot of concrete and therefore concrete is a major contributor to their emissions in addition to operating buildings, etc. So, yes, mm. so that's the, the impetus for it. So if that was the Australian government, they'd say, oh, that's down the line, that's not our coal. <laughs> but they're taking responsibility for that as part yes, of their emissions. Yes, so it, it's uh, been quite impressive uh, that they are taking that initiative and you know, showing leadership in that area. Do you, do you know what sort of proportion of the emissions come from cement? Uh, globally, it's... Uh, for transurban? Uh, w- n- w- not really sure because yeah, we, yeah. Don't, we don't know that and it's worth saying that that 52 percent target is their direct emissions so it wouldn't include the their cement emissions um because they don't make cement but the, oh, the, course, the, yeah. the uh they're thinking also about reducing the emissions from the things they affect like cement purchases uh, it's it's also worth saying that one of the things um one of the important aspects of this project isn't just that a major purchaser of cement and concrete uh wants uh, has an ambition to reduce the emissions but Borrell one of the three big cement companies has joined the steering committee for this project mm-hmm. uh, so getting the cement industry involved is, is is crucial because they're obviously a really important part of reducing the emissions in their main product mm. Mm. and Rita you were also talking about the data that you're getting from Transurban to find out what sort of um, emissions are being um, reduced by cements from Transurban, and, and apparently there's a lot of data coming back from them. Yes, yes. So Transurban have provided 
data on their concrete use on some recent projects. So that includes the overall volume of concrete, but also the concrete mix designs and the cement content within the concrete. So from that data, I've been able to analyse the emissions associated with uh, that cement and concrete. So that's been very helpful, and that gives us a baseline to compare against with uh, alternative mixes and how uh, much we can reduce the emissions. So... There's um, something else that's relevant here, the thing called the Infrastructure Sustainability Council of Australia, ISCA. There's a rating tool and, and an envision rating tool in the USA to evaluate sustainability. Can either of you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, so ISCA has, uh, and there are equivalent uh, rating tools around the world, uh, so ISCA has a rating tool to uh, basically encourage uh, construction to improve their sustainability. So you effectively get points for reducing emissions associated with construction materials. Uh, and one of those ways is reducing cement content in, in concrete. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you can get various um, ratings, and um, I think it's the top one is excellent. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so a lot of companies are looking to get those high uh, sustainability ratings on their projects. Mm. So coming to the report directly, the aim of the report is to assist Transurban in exploration of practical strategies to reduce emissions in cement. Uh, What are the areas you're covering, and beginning with the use of cement and concrete in recent Transurban projects and associated emissions? Yes, so we're looking at a number of different strategies. One is to reduce the overall cement content within concrete, but still achieve the required properties such as strength and durability. So there is a tendency, particularly in Australia, to use too much cement in concrete and use um, concrete which is excessively high in strength, which is better than using (laughs) understrength. However, there are emissions penalties for doing that. So, yes, a lot of the concrete we see being used on projects is complete overkill. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at how far the cement content can be reduced in the concrete. We're also looking at incorporating more waste materials within the concrete, such as fly ash and slag and recycled concrete aggregate. Which goes directly to Michael's report, doesn't it? Yes, and also looking at alternative uh, cementitious materials, alternative binders such as geopolymer concrete. Okay, and what about optimisation of concrete durability? Your, your opening yes. comments about yes. a 300-year design life, that blew me away. Because yes. How do you stop the, the rot in that? Yes, <laughs> ah, we, we do have the technology. Yes, so obviously if we can build uh, infrastructure which lasts as long as possible, that also helps with the sustainability. So durability and sustainability mm-hmm. do go hand in hand. And so we look at ways of... Uh, preventing reinforcement corrosion, for example, by having appropriate quality concrete, appropriate cover to reinforcement, but also looking at alternative reinforcement materials, such as stainless steel and uh, fibre-reinforced polymers. You you talked about um, changing the, the amount of cement that is in, used in concrete. Does that mean you have to address the standards as well, or is it just that it, there's an over... Um, enthusiasm. enthusiasm. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, or, or, or more of an engineering factor that goes into this. Yes. So each state 
uh, road authority has their own specifications and they do specify minimum cement content for different uh, strength grades of concrete. So that is a barrier. Uh, what we have looked at with the Transurban project is using the absolute minimum cement contact content which also complies with the state specifications. So we can get uh, quite significant reductions just through doing that. But the next step is to take it further and um, try and negotiate with state authorities to say, listen, you know, th these um, cement contents are too high. We can still achieve a durable product, but without your minimum cement content. Mm, I guess that's not a, an easy process and no, a fast process. Though. No, it's, it's amazing not. that it's a state-based thing, isn't it? That's just ridiculous. It sounds as though it should be an Australian standard rather than state by state. No, we do have Australian standards, but they only specify strength grade for different exposure classifications. They don't talk about the uh, cement content required in the, those particular strength grades, so it does come down to the state specifications. So that's a significant barrier in reducing emissions. What others are there? Uh, the conservatism of yeah. engineers. Uh, we're all you know, engineers. They're very risk-averse. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're, they're... Not a bad thing. <laughs> yes. You know, concerned about structures collapsing, obviously. Um, so that is a, a major barrier. And just getting acceptance for doing anything different. You mentioned about um, using geopolymer concrete. And the, the Ostroads, there was a publication, um, Ostroads publication, that mentioned that geopolymer concrete can have a s significant susceptibility to uncontrolled water additions at various stages. Are you aware of that? And how does that work? Yeah, so, well, any concrete uh, is susceptible to uncontrolled water addition. So, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's based on ordinary Portland cement or geopolymer concrete. Uh, adding too much water is always detrimental. The water evaporates and you're left with a very porous material and that's not good for strength or durability. So it's no more likely? For, no. Or no, no, no more of an, an issue? No, just no. got to be careful with uh, any concrete. So, yeah, for all the listeners out there, don't add extra water to your concrete. <laughs> it's, it's worth saying that in Rethinking Cement, we... we put forward the idea that there's huge potential for using geopolymer which uh, as Marita said is an alternative type of cement or some people prefer to call it a binder in concrete and we've got a lot of experience with it so um, Australia's newest airport at Toowoomba was built almost entirely out of geopolymer cement and the the oldest structures we have uh, made from geopolymer cement and concrete are in eastern Europe which are 50 or 60 years old and still being used today. So there is a lot of experience with it and a lot of potential for it to reduce emissions. Well, yeah, I even understand that, um, is it the Jukana Tunnel and the EJ Whitten Bridge have got geopolymer cement? Yeah, there's a number of Vic Roads projects where uh, geopolymer concrete has been used. So we are fortunate that several of the Vic Road standards um, do permit the use of geopolymer concrete, and so it's been used on retaining walls, uh, such as on Swan Street Bridge, noise barriers, um, footpaths. So, yeah, there have been some advances and um, case studies with geopolymer concrete around Victoria in particular. Is that because Victoria has better standards? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the fact that Vic Roads has um, shown that vision by uh, permitting use of geopolymer concrete has been a, a major step forward. 
And also there's a company called Zeobond, which produces what they term e-crete, which is a geopolymer concrete. So that's been developed uh, here in Melbourne. And, yeah, so that's available and has been used on various uh, projects around Melbourne. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Dr Marita Burns and Michael Lord from Beyond Zero Emissions about transurban and geopolymer, uh, um, zero emissions concrete. So this is the Climate Solutions Show, and it's wonderful to hear this work that, that Transurban's doing with concrete. But turning now more generally to Transurban's emissions tackling efforts, um, can you take us briefly through each of the areas? I, I think one of them's the on-site renewable energy generation. Yes, so that's to do with uh, their buildings, uh, their, their operation buildings. So they're looking at uh, you know, solar panels, etc., um, to generate re- renewable energy on their buildings. And so it's mainly solar power that I they're using so. in terms of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not sure we know too much about it. Uh, we know that they uh, have this target of 52% reduction mm-hmm. in emissions by 2030, and that's um, Transurban have signed up to the Global Science-Based Targets Initiative, um, which is an initiative where um, large corporations pledge and commit to certain emission reductions and those emissions reductions have to be consistent with the um, two degree uh, warming limit. Okay. Uh, I do know um, minimisation of construction materials and and waste generation are two of the others. Have you had anything to do with those, Marie? Indirectly with our our report. So we are looking at using how we can use less concrete in structures Mm -hmm. through innovations in design and new technologies such as 3D printing of concrete. Mm. So, wow. yes, 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 you you look surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me more. I'm imagining <laughs> the, big, the big concrete nozzle that you see, <laughs> yeah. the pump coming yeah. in and the 3D printing. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what happens. <laughs> oh, wow. And um, there have been various demonstration projects around the world, and there's research being done at Swinburne University on 3D printing, including 3D printing of geopolymer concrete. So you don't need the formwork, mm. and you can make all sorts of complex shapes. It doesn't have to be a square mm. uh, shape. So, so just out of personal interest, it would seem to me you'd need that to be very fast setting, like when they shot create a wall. Does that yes. have an impact on the – is there a conflict with the strength of the concrete having that fast setting? No, 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 no. In fact, geopolymer concrete in particular tends to have a fast set, so mm. it's, it's good. It's a good match. Okay. Uh, the, l- listeners, if they um, if they look up on YouTube, three D printed concrete house or something like that, you can see a house being built in real time oh, through three D printing. Good reference. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and there's a three D printed uh, bridge in the Netherlands, uh, bike path bridge. So yeah, pretty amazing what can be done. So it's actually a commercially viable solution. Yes. Yes, and so. It, um, using that sort of technology sh- should have the capability of also re- reducing mm. the amount of concrete in structures and therefore reducing um, greenhouse gas mm. emissions. And, and one of the ideas is that in developing countries where there's a lack of uh, affordable housing, then these houses could eventually be very cheap and put it very quickly as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the one more point I had down was the reuse and recycling of materials at end of life. At- yes. Yes. So obviously if we're going to look at alternative concretes we want to make sure that they can be reused and recycled at the end of their life Mm. and a material such as geopolymer concrete can be recycled and 
uh, crushed up and used in new concrete. So, yes, so that's uh, all good. So tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, in terms of recycling, how do you specify that? What's involved with that? So what we can specify or allow in construction is recycled concrete aggregate. So basically an old structure that's being demolished, uh, the concrete gets crushed, the reinforcement gets magnetically separated and recycled, and the crushed concrete can then be used as a replacement for aggregate uh, gravel mm. that comes out of a quarry. And uh, the crushed. Much, much better use for it. Yeah, <laughs> and the crushed concrete can also be used as sub base in, in roads, yeah. for example. So instead of taking new material from quarries and crushing it, we can just take this um, de- uh, demolition material yeah. and crush it up and uh, reuse it instead of putting it in landfill. Is that being done at the moment at all? Yes, it is to a degree, but uh, probably not enough. Marita, we spoke before about uh, risk and conservatism. There was a Southern Cross University um, report, I think number 2104, called Geopolymer Concrete, the Green Alternative with Suitable Structural uh, Properties. But it did state in its conclusion that more attention needed to be paid to the brittleness of geopolymer concrete. Is that you – know, you're the concrete whisperer. <laughs> Give us the goss on that, the gospel. Yeah, geopolymer concrete covers a wide range of chemistries and formulations. So definitely we don't want a, a brittle material. That That's uh, not good. But there are ways of overcoming that either through chemistry or doing something like adding fibres to the concrete, and that improves the uh, toughness and overcomes the brittleness problem. So again, that's something that you have to be aware of and then specify exactly what additives are required yes. to, get, yes. get to meet the standards. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, uh, geopolymer concretes actually have advantages over regular uh, concretes in that they're, they're more resistant in several types of environments, so they're more resistant to heat and they're also more resistant to corrosion from sulphates uh, and acids. Okay. Again, I think you brought that out in your cement report. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was one of the really exciting things. So there was another comprehensive report recently from the Low Carbon Living CRC, Cooperative Research Centre, where you, Marita, is one of the researchers, were one of the researchers, and it, this report was called Pathways for Overcoming Barriers to, to Implementation of Low Carbon Dioxide Concrete. I'm not sure what date that was done. I couldn't find a, a, a date on the report. But in its conclusion, it said that more needed to be done in optimising mixtures, modelling behaviour and performance. And the one thing that surprised me was a comment on um, the engagement of cement and concrete suppliers to view polymer concrete as a niche alternative material rather than as a competitor to conventional and, of course, developing standards. Yes, so... the. Cement industry is a bit parochial. They uh, like their. I, I think some of the uh, concrete suppliers have felt a bit threatened by alternatives. So yes, and well, they're part of the fossil fuel. Bomb. Yes, <laughs> but we we see all these advantages with geopolymer concrete, such as Michael was just mentioning: acid resistance, sulfate resistance, uh, fire resistance. So our thoughts were that. You know, we should concentrate on those areas where geopolymer concrete has a clear benefit, uh, looking at those areas first 
and then developing uh, more widespread use of geopolymer concrete after that. So is that just yet another barrier to reducing emissions that you come across? Oh, yes, yes. And I guess any industry takes a little while to to get used to new ways of doing things and working out the economics of it and the practicalities of how to do it. Yes. So everybody likes to, you know, keep doing the same old things that they've Mm. been doing (laughs) forever and ever. Yeah, and and it's worth saying that that it's nearly 200 years that we've been using the ordinary type of cement, Portland cement. So it's not surprising that it's going to take a few years to change. Yeah. Although I did notice in one of the Vic Rhodes reports that they said they've been doing using these geopolymer materials for over forty years. That that that's yeah. right. L- l- longer than that. Um, yeah. As as I mentioned, there are buildings in Eastern Europe built in the fifties and sixties, mm. made from geopolymer concrete, mm. still going today. Yeah. So overseas, it's even more impressive. Yeah. Just a quick query: the term Portland cement, like, it, that's not doesn't mean it's concrete that's coming out of Portland. What no. is it a generic term for a type of concrete? Y- yeah, it is. It's a generic term for the particular type of concrete that involves p- putting limestone in a kiln and making calcium silicates out of it. But I think I think Marita might know more. I think it was called Portland cement because the inventor. It was a bit of a marketing spin. Wanted to say it looked like Portland stone, yeah. uh, which is a great stone. Yeah. You know, yeah. from from yeah. Um, so southern England. Victoria's Portland. No, 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 but no. it is a bit of a stretch to say concrete looks like Portland stone. <laughs> I, I, I think it was the grey colour too, yep. because the Portland stone is a grey colour. So yeah, that's how it came about. But yeah, nothing to do with uh, anywhere in particular. You mentioned earlier um, about corrosion with cement, um, Marita, and the, I think you also mentioned that there was um, more carbon dioxide in tunnels in roadway tunnels, and that affected the performance of concrete? Yeah, that, that's correct, Kay. So uh, vehicle tunnels do have high uh, carbon dioxide concentrations associated with the uh, vehicle emissions, and that is detrimental towards the uh, durability of concrete because the carbon dioxide reacts with um, calcium hydroxide in the, the concrete and causes a reduction in pH, and then you get corrosion of reinforcement Okay. One a final quick question in our last 30 seconds. Um, we also note in the Transurban Notes, uh, their sustainability stuff, that they've got one EV trial underway, one only, with partial automation. Are you able to tell us anything about that? It's a bit low, really, isn't it, given that they own the roadways in <laughs> we're, Australia? We're very excited about EVs here. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I haven't had any involvement with that, so, yeah, okay. can't, can't so comment. Outside your scope. Yep, yep. Okay, so in terms of the report, that's just about two-thirds finished, I believe, and when's that going to come out? So we're aiming to have a draft by December and then finalise the report in February. Okay, so that's when it'll be available to our listeners. Um, the, f- the full report will be a private report, but mm. uh, we'll produce a version that'll be available. Yeah. Great. Okay, thanks very much for your time, Michael thanks, and Marisa. Yeah, thank you. Yep, no worries. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to the BZE website and click on podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can help donate to cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to you joining us again next week.
Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.